Well, good morning, guys. You guys acting like you haven't seen each other for a couple of months or something. It's good to see you guys here. Uh, as you can tell, this will not be a normal service today. We're not uh, going to have worship to start things off. Um, it's mainly because we're doing um, what, what I wanted to do after taking a couple months off with all the different things that have been going on in our life. Uh, thinking about the church, the status of where it's been. You know, we've been doing this for 12 years now. 12 years is since we started this little church. Um, and, you know, with COVID and everything that's been happening, and I mean, it just, there's been so much stuff that have been really difficult uh, over the last year. So we needed the time off. You know, we, we needed a couple months just to focus on one part of my life, which has not been easy, as these guys know with work. Uh, there's been plenty of challenges in that. Um, but, you know, I, I needed to minimize, like, dying because <laughs> there was so much stuff happening you know all at once and I needed that time off I needed that break to to kind of get my mind around it so it gave me the opportunity to really think about things spend some time with family we got to spend some time with my family in Arizona we hadn't seen hadn't been back in 12 years uh, I went back for a weekend to do my grandmother's funeral but as far as visiting with family haven't been able to do it so that was a really important time for my family and I uh, to be able to do it and it was really blessed the Lord was really good with all that stuff so today what you're going to get is, um, I'm calling this kind of, again, it's church vitals. We're going to talk about, you know, the vitals of the church and where we're at. Um, it's going to be somewhat teaching, okay, because I, I want to incorporate the Word of God into kind of what my thought process is on some of this stuff. Um, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Some of the stuff's going to be a little tough to hear, okay? Sorry, first service here. <laughs> okay, but, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a little tough, but... I want to be transparent, and I want you guys to hear my heart on stuff, and I want you to know why I feel the way that I do, and as far as what I think has to change, some things that have to be done, uh, why I, where I'm coming from on it, and what I'm what I'm doing. And Lord willing, it all lines up with Scripture. You know, if uh, if I err and I get off of Scripture as to what my emotions are or what my thoughts are, and it doesn't line up with Scripture, you have the right to boo me, kick me, do whatever you need to do. Okay, but if we look at the Word of God and it lines up with the Word of God, then maybe there's some corrections that need to be made. Okay, And that's, that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, and it's not that everything is bad. There's some really good things within this ministry, but there's some things too that, that really we, we have to mature and we have to grow and we, we, need to, we need to be receptive to the Word of God and let it correct us if necessary. Okay, um, Being that that's the kind of message this is going to be i understand i understand the risk to it as well i understand that for some people you know maybe this will be you've had time to think for a couple of months maybe you're going to look at and say okay well i'm going to find another church too and that's that's okay i don't want to lose anybody we love you all um but at the same time as a pastor it's my responsibility to give you the truth and to speak it in love and and to at least equip you as best as i can and, and that's what my heart is behind this today, is to equip the body of Christ. We look at the real situation, what we're really facing as a, as a community of believers, and then we make some decisions. And then we decide, you know, what are we going to do? You know, are we going to make some changes or not? And if not, that's okay. I'll accept that. I'll take that as being from the Lord. Um, but, but honesty is important, and transparency is important, and that's, that's what I'm willing to do, Okay. So before we start, let's pray, and then we'll get going here, okay? Father God, I thank you, Lord, for, uh, thank you for seeing these people here. You know, in my mind, I wasn't sure if I would be the only person in this building after two months of not meeting. And uh, I'm grateful that these people want to be here. And I'm grateful that uh, for all those who, you know, still watch us online and contact us through the teachings and stuff like that, I'm, I'm super grateful just for everybody and what, they've, what they do to remain attached to this, to this church. Lord, I want our church to glorify you. I want our church to be a body that, that really glorifies you in what we say and what we do. I want our church to be not a busy church. I want our church to be a healthy church. Uh, Lord, spiritually healthy, every member growing in Christ-likeness and, uh, and just fulfilling the commission that you've given us ministering one to another, um, and just changing ourselves, Lord. That's what I want. That's what I've always wanted. 
And Father, I just pray that you would use this, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, not just the words that I speak, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, that if there's anything that needs to be corrected, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be the one that corrects. If there's anything that needs to be encouraged, that it would be your Holy Spirit that encourages. If there's anything that needs to be rebuked, that it would be your Holy Spirit that rebukes. My notes mean nothing without your Spirit, Lord. So, Father, I just pray that you please help us, Lord. Help us to know what it is that you are speaking to us. As if you wrote a letter to us. Lord, let it be your heart that's made known this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, Bobby. (laughs) Great to see you. All right, right, so to begin with today, I'd like to begin by asking you this one question, this one simple question. And I sent it out on the text that I said that we would not be meeting for a couple of months. And the question is basically this. It's, what is a church? And I hope you've put some thought into that. What is a church? I'm going to answer it for you in case you didn't do the homework. Okay? <laughs> you had two months. That's very bad if you didn't even think about it. Okay? In Greek, klesia, ecclesia. In a general sense, it's really the gathering of any citizens is really all it is. If we were looking at kind of a, just a general sense, it's a gathering of citizens who are called out from their homes into some public place or assembly. It could be used outside of a church. But as a Christian, it's talking, it's referring, it's the word that we use for church. And that really means it's a called out group. Uh, It could refer to the local church, such as Calvary Woodburn or any of the other churches that are meeting around the, the world today. It could be a local assembly that it's talking about. It could be the church at large, which is the universal church, which is all who have come to believe in Christ from Pentecost until rapture. It's also referred to as Christ's body, okay? The body of Christ. That's what I want to focus on today, the body of Christ, okay? Because I I need you to have a good understanding of how I view this church as a pastor. I view it as the body of Christ in a local situation. This is the local body of Christ within these walls. This is our body of Christ, And understand how important that is, your understanding of that, because it affects the way a church operates, how it's supposed to be working. You can turn to it, but I'm going to read it. Um, It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether the Jews or the Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. I want you to hear that again. But now God has set the members, members not membership, this is where that term comes from, members being the people of the body of Christ, the individuals. But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. That's such an important verse to understand when it comes to church. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? In other words, we need each other. We need each other in in what you bring to the church. We need that desperately to have a, a full body of Christ. He goes on to say, But now indeed, if there are many members, now indeed there are many members, Yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. 
But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. He went to a lot of pain to explain this body. He says, listen, we, we need each other. If one member hurts, the rest of the body hurts with it. If one member is blessed, the rest of the body rejoices in it. I use this illustration at work with guys when I'm trying to get them to stop calling in sick. I tell them, you need to understand that in the, in, we are a body here. And when you call in sick, the body doesn't stop working. Consider yourself a hand. I tell them, consider yourself a hand. If you just don't show up that day, it doesn't mean we don't stop. It means the other hand and the back and the knees and everything else works harder. The day still has to happen. We just have a worse day because everybody's doing more work. That's what happens in the body. Well, it's the same thing with the church, guys. This is where that came from. If, if the body, if the members individually are not functioning in the way that they need to be functioning, it doesn't mean that the church ceases to exist. It means that the church is hurt. That's what happens. It's not as effective as it should be. It's not working the way that it should be. It doesn't cease to exist. It just hurts. It affects the person who is not doing the things that they should be doing, and it affects everybody else on top of that. That's why God uses the body as an illustration of the church. See, when he says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, he's saying that to us. He's saying, you are the body of Christ. Yes, you're individual members, but we form one body collectively together. That's what we have. That's what we have in this little church. Some churches are much bigger bodies, and they've got a lot more members and stuff like that, and that's okay. But every member means something to that church. In a small church, how much more? How much more? Because you don't have 10 hands or 20 hands or 100 hands or whatever it is. Every part really, really, really matters in a small church. It really matters. What is Christ's place in the church? Well, Colossians 1.18 says this. It says, And he is head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So Christ is the head of the body. When we think of the church, we think of Christ is the head of the body. In all things, he has preeminence. That means that the most important thing about the church is not the pastor. The most important thing about the church is not me or my personality or my ability to teach or charisma or anything else. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is not you. The most important thing is not the worship team or the cool building or the coffee house. The most important thing is Christ. He is to be preeminent, preeminent in the church. And the danger is, is when the churches start putting more emphasis on everything else, such as the celebrity pastor or the amazing worship team or the building or the coffee house or how cool they are or the logo or whatever, when the church starts putting preeminence upon those things, they remove it from Christ. Not intentionally. They just do. Christ is the head of the body, which means... We are, in another illustration, if he's the vine, what are we? The branches, right? Okay. So you have Christ as the head, even of this little, this community of believers that we have here. And then you have us as the branches. Each one of us play a part. From, from the head comes all these different parts, and we have different responsibilities, and we have different things we have the opportunity to participate in the body of Christ. But every one of us plays a part. We, we're formed from the head. We are necessary and we are greatly dependent upon one another. Every part is necessary and greatly dependent upon each other. 
Just keep that image of the body. Think of how it would be if you woke up one day and your arm was like, I'm not working today. I'm not going to check. I'm not going to do anything. Would that greatly affect the rest of your body? Well, so is the church. So is the church. I got a quote from David Gunderson. I don't know if he's a heretic or not, but I like his quote. I don't know anything about this man, but his quote is good. It says, the local church is by definition an assembly, a physical gathering united by a spiritual identity. We are a body, not a prosthetic warehouse. We are a pack, not a scattering of lone wolves. We are a temple, not a dispersion of loose stones. This is not a prosthetic warehouse. We're not just building body parts and then leaving them separate. It's connected. It's connected to each other. It's connected overall to the universal body of Christ. You are connected. When we go to an event, if we go to a women's study or a men's study, or we go someplace where they're teaching the word of God, we are connected to them. You should feel that connection. You should have that kindred spirit inside of you where you feel like this is home. This is good because these people, even though they worship maybe in different ways or different places, we're connected by the same spirit which is in us all, right? I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've experienced coming across some other believer who doesn't go to the same church that you go to, and you are just a kindred spirit because of the spirit of God that's in you. But that's also true for this setting as well. When, when, we, when I pastor and when I teach the word of God, I'm not trying to build you to be the best arm you can possibly be. I'm building you to be the best arm you can possibly be so you're attached and working and functioning and helping and blessing the other parts of the body that, that need help desperately too. It's connected. It's, it's pouring into you, edifying and equipping you so that you can do the work that God has called you to do. So what is a healthy church? That was another question I asked. What is a healthy church? First of all, let me be clear of what it's not. A healthy church is not determined whatsoever by its size. That is a great misconception. Just because a church is large does not guarantee that it's healthy. And just because a church is small does not mean that it's unhealthy. I have seen pastors, I have seen fellowships where they are very small fellowship and they are healthy. There is love in that place. They are serving together. They are giving. They're, they're ministering one to another. They're doing whatever they can do to reach the lost. They're trying to encourage and comfort the saints. They're doing all the things. They're firing on so many cylinders but it's a small fellowship, and I don't know why the Lord chooses some fellowships to be small and some are to be big. I don't, I don't believe it has anything to do with the capability of the pastor. I think that's the Lord's choice. Every church has a responsibility to the people that God has placed in that body. That's what God has given them. A healthy church is not based off of the size. Carl Vader's, we had a, I think his name was Jim Jacobson. I was trying to remember this morning. I should have looked it up. But we had a visitor come in a few months ago. I brought this up before, but he sat in these chairs. It was a month, it was a week where we had maybe five or six total people here. And I always, my heart drops when I have somebody walk in. Here's my flesh speaking, right? Somebody brand new walk in and they have that look of, oh no, there's like four people here. And I was just like, oh. Man, went over, I talked to him, and he looked so uncomfortable, and his wife looked so uncomfortable, and I was just trying to make him feel welcome. And uh, then I went up and Todd, and afterwards he goes, hey, he goes, can I talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, sure, bring it. <laughs> ready, you know? He's like, I pastor a little church, a little Calvary Chapel in Washington. He goes, I'm going to send you a book. It's like, Okay. He goes, I wish somebody would have given it to me years ago when we were this small. And he sent it to me, and it was such a great book. It was such a great book. I think it's Small Church Essentials. It was written by a guy named Carl Vaders, and he had pastored a small church for a long time. 
And he went through all the things that small church pastors go through where you feel like, what am I doing wrong? How come we're not growing? What do we need to do to get people in here? And am I blowing it? Am I it's, you know, a bad teacher? What is it? You know, all those things that you just wrestle with constantly as, as a small church pastor. And he identified those things. But I'll tell you the most helpful thing that he said in that book, which I hope I hold on to for the rest of my life. He says this. He says, a small church is not a problem. It's not a virtue, and it is not an excuse. And I'll summarize what those three things are. It's not a problem. I am honored to pastor a small church. I'm not ashamed of it. There was a time where I was, I'll be honest with you. Because I came from a big church, so I felt like something was wrong. I was doing something wrong. Why isn't it growing? I'm way past that after all these years. I'm not ashamed of pastoring a small church. I want a small church to be a healthy church. Okay? That's what I want. It's not a problem that it's a small church. It's not. When you look at Christ, he he ministered to the thousands, right? But he broke it down to small groups. He specifically broke it down to 12 and then took that down to three. It's not wrong to be small. Sometimes your greatest ministry will occur in small settings. The greatest effect you can have on people's lives. But it's also not a virtue. And that was important for him to say. I, I love what he says. Sometimes a small church can, adapt, can adopt the mentality saying, because we're, we're small, because we're the only church doing it right. We're not compromising. We're not tickling ears. We're not entertaining people. And it's easy to fall into that trap because you want to justify while you're small. It's not a virtue either to be small. It doesn't mean you're doing things right either. Some big churches are doing some great, fantastic things. They're, do, they're firing on all cylinders. They're sharing the word of God faithfully. They're not into weird doctrines. They have a great thing going. It's not a virtue to be small. And it's also not an excuse. It's not an excuse to do things poorly or to not function as a church should be functioning. It's not an excuse. It doesn't mean that, okay, well, let's form some teams now. Let's get, you know, we have to have outreach and we have to have inreach and we have to have a board for this and we have to have a board for this and we need to do small groups and we need to do evangelism. And busy doesn't mean godly. Sometimes you're just busy. What it does mean, though, is... And the core fundamentals of a church, are we doing the things that a church should be doing? Not the church down the road, not the bigger mega churches trying to imitate them, not, not anything like that. Are we doing the things that the Bible says we should be doing as a church? Are we doing those things? Case in point, that's a healthy church. Okay? Okay. So it's not an excuse for doing church poorly. And I'm not talking about the production. Because you know anybody who's been here before, we're not into production. Okay, we're pretty stripped down and that's okay. That's part of the personality that God chose as a pastor. And if you identify with it, you'll like it. If you don't, you're going to be miserable. (laughs) Okay? I think for the most part, people understand we're pretty stripped down and that's the way I want it to be. Let me share some things with you according to God's word that I believe make a healthy church. The first thing just came from a very practical observation on the week that I almost quit. And it was the last service we had. I had two people show up. And I sat there and I'm like, I am just literally, it was the closest I've ever been to quitting. We started in our house, you know, what, 11 years ago. And... I had at times where there was one or two people and I'm thinking, really, 12 years and I'm looking at two people? Lord, is this it? Are we done? Because I can't imagine starting from this again. It was hard to get up to where we were. And that's when I sent out the message, we're going to take a break. Because I knew mentally I was not thinking clearly at that point. I knew it was like, I'm going to make a wrong decision. If I base it off of what I'm feeling right now, I need some time to process this and really seek the Lord on what he wants me to do. 
as I thought about that, the first observation that I have about a church as a healthy church is a healthy church is comprised of individuals who choose to be present. And I, and I worded that specifically. Choose to be present. You have to make a choice. Because it's hard. I get it. There's life, right? There's all kinds of things. Man, work was super hard this week, and I'm just burned out, and I'm tired. Um, you know, I got this going, I got this going, whatever it is. You have to make a choice. Now, please, do not, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not calling for perfect attendance, okay? And I'm not going to start doing a roll call. I don't need to. I can count you all right now, okay? (laughs) But if your standard mode of operation is not, if your default is not to come to church and every once in a while come to church, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay? Because in the body of Christ, we need you. It's not just you need us, which you do, but we need you. Because remember, the body, remember the body. The body is parts working together to form one body, and everybody has their part, everybody has a role, everybody has something to contribute, something to participate in. That's the body of Christ. You may be like, but I don't have anything to participate in. Sure you do. Sure you do. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement to somebody who desperately needs it that day. Maybe it's just maybe it's just praying with somebody who's really going through something hard. Maybe it's you who needs the encouragement. Maybe it's you who needs to be reset. Presence is important for the body of Christ. It is. Um I understand with COVID, things are difficult. We, we were at a point, if you remember, prior to COVID, it was just about full in here, many weeks. People were complaining about parking. I was so happy, okay? Such a great problem. I'm like, yeah, we don't have any parking. We're on the verge of being big. You know, it's, it's going to happen. I was, I was so happy that things were going. And then COVID hit. Now, some churches thrived during COVID. We didn't. It wiped us out. I mean, I, you know, we had a lot of elderly. Think of all the people who used to be here who no longer come to church. People have been coming for like a year. They're gone. A lot of them, it was because of COVID. Some of them, it was because habits were formed during COVID. And, and I worry about our culture, our, our Christian culture right now. I think there were some very unhealthy habits that were formed during COVID. And one of them was, I can watch church on TV or YouTube or whatever and that's good. Let me tell you, and I'm not saying this from a selfish perspective. I know you're like, you're telling us that you've got to show up to church. I'm not saying this for this reason. It is not healthy to never be in fellowship. It's not. You can never be spiritually healthy if you are not tied to the body of Christ. It is not the same to watch it on YouTube or to listen to a podcast or, you know, I can listen to David Jeremiah and I can listen to Alistair Biggs and I can listen to Charles Stanley and I can listen to all those guys. I'm getting fed constantly. Yes, but you're not in the body of Christ. Some people will tell me, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That is absolutely true, but you have to go to church to be in the body of Christ. Because you can't do it remotely. I don't have a remote arm that I use. It's connected. It's the body. It's working together. It takes that for you to be healthy. It takes that for the church to be healthy. And when the default is, I don't go to church, you will not be as healthy as you should be, and the church will not be as healthy as it should be. You miss a week or two, I get it. Things happen. There may be a time where we have to switch back to Zoom. And I'm grateful for Zoom because it gave me the opportunity to minister to people who don't come to our church at all because, you know, people like Sandy and other people from across the country that are interested in our ministry and they want the teaching and stuff, but they're in other parts of the country. That was cool to see those faces. But at the same time, I'm thinking this isn't best for our local church. This isn't best. This is a band-aid right now. 
So there may be a time we have to do that. If there's COVID that breaks out within the ministry or, you know, whatever it is, I get it. I'm not saying that under, you know, all circumstances we have to be present. But it cannot be that the default is not to physically go. It cannot be to be healthy. It doesn't help you. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider one another. Listen to the way that's worded. Let us consider one another. It starts out with, let's think about others. Let us consider one another. In order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assemblies, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Guys, If there ever was a time that we could say right now we need to be edified and encouraged and stir up one another for love and good works, is it not now? It says, as we see the day approaching, do you not see what's going on? Can you not see what's happening in this world? Would we all be in agreement that more than ever we need each other? Listen, I'm grateful I've got three of my guys who are co-workers with me sitting in these chairs. But my job is not going to provide the spiritual support I need. Okay? It's not going to do it. You know, I need to be able to come to a place where there's other believers that will pray for me and with me and encourage me and look into my eyes and say, I can see you're not doing well. I can see it in you. I hear it in your voice. Let's pray. Let's worship. Let's strengthen each other. Let's stir up each other for love and good works. That happens when you are together. There's no substitute for it. None. Now, I want to be very clear because there are some people who are going to watch, and I'm going to put this online for our people who don't attend church that listen to the teaching. I want to be very, very clear. I do not fault those who cannot come to church. There are some who flat out cannot come to church. Shut-ins, health issues, whatever it is. I don't fault those people at all. I hope they make use of our teaching, other people's teachings, anything they can to get fellowship and all that. I hope they can get all that taken care of. I don't fault anybody in that situation. But... If that person is sitting there thinking, I really can go to church, I just don't want to. Then that's not right. And that's not healthy. It's not good for them. As I've said many times, attending church is not just for your own sake, but it's for the sake of others. It's changing a mindset of consuming things within the church and becoming a distributor of things in the church. It's viewing yourself as having value. It's having value. It's understanding the value, the immense value that you have as an individual and how important you are to the other people in those chairs. How important you are. See, when I, when I was a youth pastor of a very large youth ministry... If a kid didn't show up, it didn't hurt the youth ministry whatsoever. Because there was hundreds of other people there and the church was filled with hundreds of people, right? It's unfortunate, but as a pastor, I was guilty of, you don't even hardly notice. Because there's so many people. But man, when it's a small ministry, you realize it. How important each person is. And not just, not just how important they are, but the immense value of that person. How, how Im- they don't understand how important they are. That's the thing that kills me. They don't understand. If they understood, they would be there just to, just to bless others if they understood how important they were. Oftentimes people don't get it, though. They don't see themselves that way. This is, not just a, this is not just a church mindset. This is a Christ-like disposition that we're commanded to have. 
See, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the type of people we're supposed to be, not just in these walls, but outside these walls. Are we looking at things and saying, how am I helping them? How am I adding value and blessing to their life? Or is it all purely by how this benefits me? That's a miserable way to live. I've lived that way. And I think we can all fall into that trap pretty easily, right? And I'll tell you what, any of you who have ever lived that way or are living that way, you will agree if you're honest, it's miserable. When you live your life based solely upon what benefits you, you are a miserable person because nothing ever benefits you enough. When you start living life and you get to experience what it's like to pour yourself out, to bless someone else, and you see the radical effect that has in their life, there is nothing better. There's nothing better. And Christ says that's the way we're supposed to be inside these walls and outside these walls. Others. We cannot accept the cultural standard right now, which is popular amongst churches, which is the expectations. You know, what are the expectations when you walk in the door for a church? What are your expectations? If your expectations are, I'm here to be blessed. I'm here to be refreshed. I'm here to be encouraged. There's nothing wrong with those things because we all come in sometimes crawling through the door. And we need those things, right? But if your expectation is, that's what the church exists to do for me, you're missing a big part. See, the, the other part is, I'm here to be equipped. Be fed. be fed, to be equipped. Okay? This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What is my responsibility as a pastor? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. In other words, grow up. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joint and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's a mouthful. Let me read that last part again. Speaking of the pastor. Speaking the truth in love. I hope you understand today, this is motivated by love, not anger. Anger was two months ago. It's now love. Okay? It took me a while. It's love. Because it's not healthy. Just like if I see my kids doing something that I know is unhealthy and it's going to hurt them. In love, I say something because I don't want it to hurt them. As a pastor, it's my responsibility to speak the truth in love. Motivated by love. I believe that to be true of what we're talking about today. But... This is the part that, that is, I've never paid attention to this at the end of this, talking about the body. 
talking about Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every joint supplies, every part does its share. Why? For the edifying of itself in love. We hurt ourselves when we do not function as the body of Christ. We hurt ourselves, individually and corporately. Remember, the first verse that I shared with you is that God has placed each member in in the body. God has specifically put, I believe anybody who chooses Calvary, Calvary Woodburn to be their church, God has specifically ordained for you to be here. And you have a purpose. And every member supplies. Every member does something to help the body function better. And it edifies, builds up the whole thing in love. That's a healthy church. That's a very healthy church. We're going to go into two subjects here that are destined to offend. But I'm going to say it anyways, lovingly. You're like, really? The other stuff wasn't? <laughs> Just wait, buckle up. Okay? I want you to think back on the night before Christ was crucified. He was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. He had the opportunity to teach on anything he wanted to teach on. Just think about that moment. He could have taught on anything at that moment. He could have cleared up predestination. He could have, you know, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. What was the one thing he taught on that night? On John chapter 13, I'll read it to you. It says, Now therefore the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he who knew, I'm sorry, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so am I. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. They were all sitting there waiting for someone else to do what needed to be done. In a church setting, I wonder if they were sitting there thinking, doesn't Jesus get paid for this? Maybe they were thinking, I'm not gifted as a foot washer. That's not my gifting. I'm not comfortable doing that. There was an obvious need. Nobody did it. So Jesus gets up, 
strips himself down as a slave would do, grabs a basin, fills it with water, and begins to wash the feet of every one of the others who did nothing. They started to get it. Peter's like, no, 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 you won't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you have no part with me. He finishes washing everyone's feet. I'm sure it was silent as they sat there having Jesus wash their feet as a slave. He sets down the dirty water. He clothes himself once again. He sits down and he says, do you know what I just did to you? And in silence, they sit there and he says, go and do this for others. If you are my disciples, go and do this for others. For one another, he even said. My question is, are we a church of foot washers? Or do we kick back waiting for somebody else to do it? I ask this because for years, not just days, months, weeks, years, I have asked for help in the children's ministry. For years. To which no one has helped. Sure, we get told, hey, yeah, if we need you to fill in, yeah, we'll, we'll fill in but they don't. Why do I want a children's ministry? I want a children's ministry so that our kids are blessed and ministered to each and every week at their age level. I want our kids to love coming to church. That's what I want. I want our volunteers to learn the blessings and benefits of serving others. I want them to learn the blessings and the benefits of serving others. I want you to grow in the word because if you, if you are teaching kids, you have to learn it. You have to really boil it down. You have to be very concise. I know it will be beneficial for you. I did it. I know. I'd like to see my wife in the service, to be honest with you. She's not going to like that I'm saying this. I will get rebuked at home, but I am telling you right now. I would love to see my wife in the service. Twelve years of doing it herself is too long. We had help for a while, and that help bailed, and it's been us. And that's wrong. I get it. I'm with my kids all the time. I don't want to do it in children's ministry. What do you think happened with my kids for 12 years? While we were also ministering to yours. I want a church of foot washers. Okay? I'm tired of hearing that's not my gift. I don't like it. I don't like... Guys... I've shared this example many times, but do you remember when we lost Ricky and Sandy, when we had no worship? And do you remember when I had to pick up the guitar and how humiliating that was for me? Do you remember how painful it was for you? <laughs> I didn't do it because I was gifted. I didn't do it because I just wanted to be a rock star worship leader. I don't want that. I did it because there was a need within our church. And if no one else was going to do it, I would do it. Do we have that culture within this church? I know it's been modeled to you, but have you embraced it? And have you looked at it and said, what can I do to relieve children's ministry or help with setup or tear down or you know, stand at a door and say hi to people so they know this weird layout, how to get in our church. You know, all this stuff. What can I do? There's got to be something. 
Are we foot washers? Are we consumers? Which one are we? Because a healthy church is foot washers. That's what a healthy church is. And I get it. I know. Every church across America has the same problem. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how small it is. You have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. I get it. I know that. I am not willing to accept it anymore. I'm not. I'm not. I'm tired of the excuses. You know why? Because this is what Jesus said to do, not what Clint said to do. This is what he said needs to be done. So let's stop just saying, well, this is the way it is, and start saying, how can I be part of the change? How can I be part of the change? What can I do? What little part can I play? That's a healthy church full of comprised of healthy individuals. I have never, ever shared what I'm about to share with you guys on the next. There's one last thing, then you guys will be free to vent your frustrations at me or whatever you need to do. But there's one other thing that I'm going to share with you today that I've never, ever shared in 12 years. But you need to be aware of this. And I feel like, I feel like because I, I don't talk about it, it has actually hurt you. So we're going to talk about it. Are we a generous church? Generous. Before I came to Christ, money was a huge thing, a deterrent for me to go into a church because I felt like all they wanted was money. Things were being passed around, talking a lot about money. Hey, pay for my motorhome so I can go do God's work. All this stuff, right? I saw lots of things and it pushed me so far away from it that I don't ever talk about money. You guys know that. When it comes up in scripture, we talk about it. And even in that, I'm uncomfortable. But what I have failed to teach you is there's a huge difference between giving and generosity. There's a huge difference. And I have failed to teach you how important generosity is. You need to understand generosity. Because we're supposed to be generous people as Christians. Okay? There's a story in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a poor widow putting in two mites. He said to her, Truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. And for all these, I'm sorry, for all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood she had. Just think about that. Everybody else is coming in down the aisles and they're ringing their bells and they're making a big display of dumping in money and coins and you're hearing it. And this little widow is off to the side where she thinks nobody is even seeing her and she drops in two little mites which are like nothing, nothing, less than pennies in our generation. Well, it's that, maybe not now with inflation, but like, like nothing, right? Putting put in there. And Jesus sees this and he says come here all you guys come here come here all of you come here and they're like yeah 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 what's going on we see it happening and they're probably thinking oh it's that guy that's getting up all listen that change going in there it's like no 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 look at her look at her this is giving this is generous this is generous because she's not giving out of her abundance her leftover she's giving out of her necessity this is her livelihood and she's still giving that's generosity Generosity has nothing to do with the amount of money you give. Generosity has to do with everything, with the amount of sacrifice to give it. We have some very generous people within our fellowship. Some of them don't give much at all. But they are very generous because I know they don't have the money. C.S. Lewis says, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid that the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, 
if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. He's saying, listen, if you can live like everyone else and your giving never impedes all the things that you just want to do to have fun and buy stuff, then you're probably giving too little. Here's the information I've never shared before in church. Not because I'm hiding something, but because I don't ever want you to feel like I'm trying to guilt you into giving. And let me say this right now. If the only reason you give after this message is because what I'm saying right here today, do not give. I don't want your money. Okay? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to teach you. If I remove my own family's giving from this church for this year, 86% of our income comes from people who do not attend our church. 86%. When I remove my own family. It's not right. I am extremely grateful for those who support us. Um, we have people, a couple families that have been part of this church that have moved in other places and they still give a little bit every month. I have people who have never stepped foot in this church that give every month. To be honest with you, it's the only reason we are here today because 14% isn't going to pay the bills. Okay? Once again, not everybody can give a lot, and I get that. Should everybody be able to give something? Yes. I don't care how broke we are. Even if we're in the hole, we should be able to look at it and say, what I have, the Lord has given me. As an act of worship, I'm going to give him this back even if it hurts a little bit. It could be a dollar and it may hurt. It's not my responsibility to judge the amount of anybody's giving. I, 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 it is not my responsibility at all. I wish I never had to see it, to be honest with you. We're just too small that I have to. Okay, I have to send out the letters at the end of the year. I have to do all that stuff, right? Okay. It's not about the amount. The Lord knows your heart. The Lord loves generous givers. That's what it says. The Lord loves generous givers. He didn't say the Lord loves big givers. He didn't say that. That's the guys on television. The Lord's version of that is the Lord loves generous givers. Are we a generous church? Comprised of individuals who are generous. It's things you have to look at. Okay. There's a lot more that I could talk about with the healthy church, but I'm not going to keep you all here all day. But here's some quick, random fire, just some shots, okay? Some shot, shotgun teaching here. A healthy church prays together. A healthy church participates in evangelism doesn't have to be in organized events. They're evangelistic. They go outside and they recognize there are lost and dying people at work, in the communities they go, in the grocery stores. They understand that people need Jesus. A healthy church is evangelistic. Even if we don't do some major outreach that everybody goes, oh, they're so cool, look at them. We are evangelistic in nature. That's who we are. A healthy church... Dis disciples others. If you're a little bit further along the path, you look at those who are struggling, you say, you want to go out to lunch? Can we meet up for coffee? Let's see how you're doing. Would you like to read a book together? We disciple one another because we understand it's effective for maturity and growth and solidifying their faith. We disciple. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, not church attenders. Disciples is what we're supposed to be. 
and what we're supposed to be making. Are we A healthy church is comprised of people who are born again. Something we overlook, but not just church attenders, but are you born again? Has Christ so radically changed your life that you become a new creation in Christ? That's born again. A healthy church is a church that is finding and exercising their gifts. Again, they're servant-hearted. They, they cast aside the that's not my job mentality and start seeing there's a need. I will step in even if I'm not the perfect person for it. I just want to help. That's a healthy church. A healthy church teaches the word consistently. I'm not just saying because that's the part I do, but I'm telling you we're pretty healthy in that. I teach the word pretty consistently every week. We've never been like, okay, we're going to talk about the purpose-driven life today. We don't do that. We teach the Word of God verse by verse, right? A healthy church has people who are hungry for the Word of God. They want the Word of God, and it makes them hungrier when they leave. They'll look at it at home, too, because they want it. A healthy church is comprised of people who are students of the word. They will research it themselves. They'll dig in because they want to know that it's true. They'll verify what they're being taught, like Bereans. And a healthy church is a church that is maturing in their faith. If you can't look back a year, two years, three years, and say, I have grown tremendously in the Lord, you are not maturing spiritually, then that means that this is not a healthy church. If, you're, if you've been coming to this church for quite a while and you are still spiritually immature and you are not growing at all in your maturity, and if that's across the board, then we're not healthy. You should be able to say, I am healthier now than I was a year ago. You should be. You should be maturing in your faith. So now with all that being said, hard part is over. I want to ask you these questions that I want you to ponder over. Number one, are we a healthy church? After everything I've said, I have my answer. Are we a healthy church? Secondly, are we functioning as a church should be functioning? As the body of Christ, are we functioning the way a church should be functioning? And the last thing is, as individuals... Are we spiritually healthy as an individual? Are we spiritually healthy? If the answer is no to any of those or all of those, then this is the big question. Are we willing to make changes so that we can be healthy? Are we willing to make changes so that we can be healthy? Or do we do nothing and eventually just cease to exist as a church? Those are our two options. Are we willing to change to have a healthy community of believers? Or do we eventually cease to exist as a church? I personally don't want to be a part of an unhealthy church that is unwilling to change. Nor do I want you to be part of a church that is unwilling to change if we are unhealthy. My desire is that we face the facts which I just laid out. We embrace them and we say, I'm making changes. Not we're, I'm making changes. I'm going to contribute to the health. If we do that as individuals, remember, we're not a prosthetic factory. It's not a bunch of limbs just laying around this place. It's everybody coming together as the body and saying, I will help, I will help, I will help, I will help, I will do, I will do. And again, I'm not expecting, let's be honest, there's not a ton of things you need to do, is there? It's a small church. But I promise you there's things you can do. 
You can help with setup. You can help with teardown. You can help with the children's ministry. You can help with standing at the door and welcoming people. You can help with when we got to do the landscaping. You can help with calling someone, making sure they're okay, praying for people. You can help with the people who can't come to church, taking them a meal every once in a while, sitting down, having a conversation with them to make sure they know they're missed and they're loved and making sure they're okay. There's a lot of things you can do. A lot of things that we can do. Just because it's not a huge worship team here or a bunch of elders and deacons and ushers and greeters, you just got to look for ways to minister to people is all you got to do. You got to think differently. Minister to others. What can I do to minister to others? Here's what I'm resolved to do. I want to pastor Calvary Woodburn. And I want to see this church become healthy. My conclusion is there are some things that we are healthy in. There's a lot that we're unhealthy in. I want to see this church get healthy spiritually, ministering one to another. That's what I would like to see. But here's what I will say. If I'm the only one who wants this and the only one that's doing my best to make those actions happen, I'm not sticking around Calvary Woodburn. Just so you know. Okay? I started this church, but this is not my church, so it's not going to kill me to walk away from this church. I want a body of believers that are committed, just like I am, to each other. And that are committed to being healthy, spiritually as best they can. And if we don't have that, then we really don't have a church anyways. It's really that simple. I'd like to pray and turn off the camera. And then I would like, um, I would like, we'll turn it off after the prayer. I am willing to hear anything you have to say, good or bad. You may unload on me. I'm fine. I can take it. But if there is anything that the Lord has spoken specifically to your heart, I would ask you to share it so that as a group, we can hear it and we can pray for one another. This is the time that we pray for one another. That we, you know, if, if the Lord is calling us to do certain things, we do it. I've been transparent with you. I would appreciate the same transparency. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that these people came today. You know that my desire is that no one would be hurt, but maybe be challenged. God, I... I I want a church that honors you. I want a church that is healthy. I want to pastor a group of people that love each other, that, that want to serve one another, that want to contribute to it, participate in the ministry. I want, I want that because I know it's healthy and I know that that will bring others to come to know you. Father, I don't want a church that gives into the cultural norms that this is just the way it has to be. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be this way. But I know that it can only occur by the power of your Holy Spirit working through our hearts and our lives. So would you please help us, Lord? And I, I lay this ministry at your feet. If all this was was to prepare people to go and be effective at another ministry one day, then so be it. But if this is for our church, Lord, I pray that you help them to rise up. And help us, Lord, through this time and help us to shine as lights in the midst of a perverted and crooked generation that is so messed up right now. We really need We need you and we need each other. Please help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.